Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBT inclusion and care. Learn more at PostureShift.com. Also, we want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going and growing through their continued giving. If you love this podcast, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com forward slash Life on Side B. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of On Life on Side B. Uh, this is Elizabeth Black here, and uh, I'm here with one of my co-hosts, our co-hosts, who is, who are you over there? Becca Mason. <laughs> hey, Becca. How are you? Glad to be here with you today. <laughs> I'm great. How are you doing, Elizabeth? Oh, well. I, haven't, I feel like I haven't talked to you in like months. Yes, I know. We have to, we have to catch up. Um, unfortunately, I am, I am sick with the dreaded covid so I'm a little bit not myself today, but hopefully I can Is this get the first time it's invaded your house? Well, our our dear friend who lives with us, who's in our family, Masha, uh, she got COVID right after Christmas. And we did like a thorough lockdown, literally trash bags over her door, masks constantly wet wipes everywhere and we avoided it um but i was at a ministry leaders gathering earlier this week and there was like 80 of us unmasked in a very small space and as soon as i walked in i was like well that's it i'm getting it (laughs) and sure enough here i am but it's totally fine i i'm just one of the rest of the world (laughs) Who has experienced this, and we're we're gonna get through. So, how are you, Becca? What's doing what's great? Going on? I know y'all are like I'm all blowing, and y'all can't see me on the the podcast this year. We're not doing we're not doing video this season, and I'm thankful for it today because I'm actually like on location at the nature center in Chattanooga with field trip with my son. So they're all eating lunch right now, and I'm like out in the sunshine getting to record a podcast, which is kind of delightful. I mean, technology's awesome. Oh, my gosh. So, doing great. Um, you are fan- you're fantastic. I'm oh, so, so impressed. Much I was just saying I could never imagine doing this. Podcasting and mama oh. field tripping. Not surprised. Yeah, I don't impressed. usually double things up like this, but we had this on the calendar before I found out the date for the field trip. And I was like, I am not canceling on my friends and trying to find another day because it's hard to get things scheduled, you know. So when you get it, you just work everything out. And my kids are used to going with the flow. So we just we flow. I love it. I love it. Well, not only are Becca and I here today, but we have the great honor and pleasure of having our dear friend Misty here with us. Um, I'm so, so excited uh, to have you. Welcome to Life on Side B. Thank you. Thanks for having me this morning. It's a delight. Yes, so good to have you. I know many of you who probably have uh, been a part of the Side B community for years or who came to Revoice last year, got the pleasure of hearing you speak. I was so, um, so impressed and just really inspired by all the things that you shared, um, especially just your focus on biblical truths as we talk about sexuality and faith. It was just great. So glad that we get to hear a little bit more from you today. 
Um, so let's let's dive in. Let's start with our first question. Uh, can you share share with us a little bit of um, how you identify? And um, yeah, some some way of how you would describe yourself, maybe for those listening today who don't know you. Um, oh yeah, my name is Misty Irons. Um, I am straight, um, cisgender, and identify as uh, female. I'm I'm Asian. Um, I'm 53 years old. I've been a straight ally, you know, as they call it. I don't know what other term to use, but I've been a straight ally for about uh, 22 years. And um, I am a member of the PCA church, the Presbyterian Church in Mm -hmm. America. And um, I have three kids. So yeah, I I live in California. And um, just my involvement with LGBT Christians has been uh, the passion of my life the last 20 years. Um, I I mainly just kind of hang out with people and go to conferences and used to blog more, but I felt like the Lord was calling me away from that for a season. But my blog is still up if you want to check it out. Um, it's at um, moremusingson.blogspot.com. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm i involved with Revoice and, you know, wherever else I'm I'm called to be. We are so Fantastic. thankful. I know every time we get a chance to talk, it's a lot of just thank you for the work that you do and the fact that you have been such a faithful ally for so many years oh. now. Um, it's always appreciated. And I know a lot of that, you mentioned a couple of things that immediately set you in a position to experience church hurt. Uh, that's going to be what we talk about today. We joked before that we've had this really kind of long title for this podcast of when to know when to stay and how do you know when to leave and what are you going to do with your church and told Josh we just needed to play the intro to should I stay or should I go now by the clash Um, because it really does go a lot with what we're talking about you know if we sometimes if we stay in church there's trouble sometimes if we leave the church there's double the trouble like the lyrics of the song fit perfectly with what we're talking about um And you, in particular, are from a traditionally very conservative denomination. And because you are cisgender and straight, you are immediately going to get a lot of pushback. And I'm sure a lot of hurt and conflict in the church um, because you should be one of the people who is fighting against um, the LGBT agenda in the church. Um, saying that completely tongue-in-cheek on my part, but you put yourself in a position of standing in front of us often and taking a lot of the attack that uh, is directed towards the LGBT community. So what are some things that you have experienced personally, um, like when you have been trying to find a church home? I know at one point in time uh, you were... uh, a pastor's wife. And so you've gone from doing that to finding spaces. How have you gone about finding um, a church to be able to call home with the work that you've done for so long? Right. Since I um, began to be involved as a straight ally about, like I said, a couple of decades ago, life before that was actually very usual. You know, you find a church because you moved or because 
you know, at the time my, my, um, my husband was interning or ministering here or there. So we just kind of moved around the way you normally do. But then as soon as I started to become interested in reaching out to the gay community and becoming an ally to those who are in the church who identify as a sexual minority, everything changed with my relationship with the church. The first thing that happened was I was actually in a more conservative denomination than the PCA when I began to become interested in, you know, why, why aren't we reaching out to people who are gay in our, in our communities? So I wrote an article called A Conservative Christian Case for Civil Same-Sex Marriage, and this was back in the year 2000. It was before society was even discussing the issue. And um, in my denomination at the time, there was a, we were very conservative, and it was, um, there was one faction that actually believed in um, legislating capital punishment for people who are what they called practicing homosexuals. Because in the Mosaic Covenant, you know, there was like the commands to stone idolaters and, and people like that. So that was my denomination. That was, a, that was not their position, but that was a faction in my denomination while I was coming to the conclusion that, wait, how come we are not legalizing gay marriage just to give people sort of like a space in society who, who don't believe as we do, but they, um, but people need to live their lives and people need to have stability and if we're going to say we shouldn't, we shouldn't encourage promiscuity, then maybe we should encourage some sort of legal marriage arrangement. And that was, um, I went from being, you know, sort of the, the celebrated pastor's wife who is a home missionary and doing church planting in Los Angeles to being, you know, Jezebel and, you know, possible closet lesbian and possible mole who's trying to undermine the entire wow. Christian faith um, at the highest levels. And there was a denomination-wide effort to excommunicate me for almost two years. So my relationship with the church, you know, I kind of experienced the high all the way down to the low. And, um, but I, I knew at that point God was calling me to, to stick with the church because what other opportunity is there to, to be sort of like a, um, someone who is like talking about these things in, in a space as conservative as this. Think about all the the teenagers who are growing up in, in this denomination who are not only closeted, but just terrified out of their minds. Right. So I had some, you know, stature in, in the denomination, um, then some notoriety, a lot of notoriety. And so that, that, that has changed my entire relationship with the church yeah. because I saw the, the really good and then the really bad, um, side of it. It was a difficult time, obviously, because um, people were telling me I wasn't really a Christian. And every day I had to wake up and, and um, you know, not only deal with all the meetings that were happening, you know, at the sessional level and the presbytery level, and then eventually at the GA, you know, about what are they going to do with me and what are they going to do with my, my husband at the time. But I had to deal with my own personal walk with Christ, which was, I knew he was calling me to, to kind of stay the course, but it's, I don't, there's no book on how to, how to navigate a situation where your entire denomination is trying to get rid of you and treating you like you're, right. you're just this filthy thing, you know? Yeah. If there were a, a book about it, it would be good, good to have. So, um, so we stayed, you know, for almost two years, we saw the whole process through until they 
they basically, you know, deposed or not deposed. They, they disciplined my husband from ministry. We had to kind of close down the church plant that we were a part of. And, um, and so our choice of our next church, um, was basically like, well, who, who wants us now? Because, you know, we're, we just kind of got kicked to the curb. Um, I thought that we were never going to be a part of a church again. I thought that, you know, no, no church would ever open its doors to us. So the next church that we joined happened to be a PCA where they were just like, oh yeah, come on in, you know, and, and they didn't seem to care that the fact that, you know, I was called all these names and stuff, um, that there were, the internet was just full of all sorts of, you know, bile and, and stuff against me. So, um, so that's, that was kind of like, oh, okay, well you, you chose a church based on who wants you. <laughs> so, so we, we stayed, um, I was a part of that church for 16 years. Uh, I just left it in 2000, when was it? 21. It was, it was recently, you know, I, I may, I had, I went through a transition period where, you know, I was looking for a new church and now I'm a part of another PCA church. But that church I was a part of for 16 years, mainly because they just, they, they would have me. Wow. So. Oh my gosh. I, just listening to your story just makes me think, I, I, I guess I'm just floored by, as Becca said, like, why would you put yourself in these positions? Like what, what a testimony to your conviction um, and to like what, what God has really called you to because like that, th this whole, how long was this whole process of leaving the original church or basically being fired, you, you and your husband, to now, you know, making the choice to transition out of uh, the past, the last church? How long was that? Well, let's see. The controversy in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church started February 25th of 2002. We left there at the very end of 2003 then we joined our new church in the PCA in 2000 the beginning of 2004 and then um we went through two pastors and when the second pastor uh, resigned from the church I didn't want to be without a pastor during that time because I was going through a divorce and my I didn't want my kids to and us to be without a pastor so, and, and that church that I'd been a part of for so long, you know, totally walked us through the whole divorce and, and just all our issues and everything like that. So everything was, you know, totally in connection with leadership, but I just felt that if the pastor is going to be leaving, then the whole process of searching for a pastor was going to be like, you know, we, we just need some pastoring right now. We just need to be in a stable place. So that's when I, you know, and we can talk about this, went through the process of really trying to find a church where it was just, it could, it would, could have been any church. It could have been like a, a PCA or a non-PCA or, you know, anything. We were open to anything or, and I, and I felt that God was leading us to where we're at right now. Yeah, I understand that completely. I've been going through a similar process with my family the last year or so of um, having found a church that was very welcoming of side B individuals. We had a, a relatively large population of us there. Um, that that pastor was called away uh, right in the middle of that first year of COVID. And so we went from being isolated to being isolated without a pastor. And when they called a new pastor, um, 
it was about 42 steps back from an understanding about sexuality and things like that. And my immediate thought was educating pastors is part of what I do for a living. I cannot educate my own pastor. Like I need a pastor to pastor me. Um, And so I've always been one of those that's like, you don't leave a church because of the pastor. You don't leave because your pastor leaves, blah, blah, blah. And then God puts me in situations that's like, maybe you should not have so many hard and fast rules about who stays and who goes and why you should in a church. Uh, So yeah, that, that can be a huge part of it is that sometimes it's an incredibly beautiful place, but there's just something that your family needs that you are no longer receiving. Um, and so that can be a huge part of looking at church, um, that hurt isn't necessarily always abuse. Sometimes it's just a transitional season that does cause loss and does cause grief. Uh, but that's one sort mm-hmm. of deciding factor. What, what have been some other deciding factors for either of you about looking at churches, finding churches, things like that? For me, it was, um, I, I could relate to your idea of there are certain hard and fast rules that, you know, I had for myself. For instance, when, when my, uh, my last pastor was resigning from the church, one of my rules has always been, well, don't change church. Don't be in a situation where you're without a church, you know, like before you change churches, just kind of know where you're going. And then a friend of mine I was having lunch with said, well, when the Israelites set out from their camp, didn't they, didn't the cloud just kind of lead them and they didn't know where they were going? And I just thought, oh, wow, that's, that's true. You know, I think it says that in scripture where the cloud would lead them and they didn't know where they were going. So it's okay to, to, to feel like God is calling you to a church and, and out of a church and not know where you're going. Whereas that was one of my rules, like, well, why would you, why would you leave and not know where you're going? So, so that was kind of a a little rebuke there. and, And that was helpful to me. I, I think that it's, um, for me, it was not so much oh, I have these criteria lined up for what kind of church I want. Obviously, it has to be certain baseline things, like they preach the gospel. Um, there's a, a faithfulness to the scriptures. Um, I feel comfortable with, you know, the teaching and with, you know, the pastoral care that I see there. So there's some certain basic things that that I look at. But a lot of it has to do with with God himself. Like, what what is my idea of following God's will? And one thing that I've learned about the Lord is that, you know, he does speak to me a lot through the scripture. He does speak to me through, um, you know, that still small voice or or maybe like my friend who had lunch with me, you know, just a, a, somebody with wise counsel or somebody who just kind of pops off and says something. And I just think, I think I heard the Lord speak to me there. But I, I find that his will is sometimes revealed in layers and sometimes revealed um, gently, but but slowly, not at the not at the fast food pace that we yes. all like. Sometimes it helps me yes. to go out to, <laughs> sometimes it helps me to just walk outside and go to nature mm-hmm. and, and just watch, watch how the, the plants grow so, so slowly and how the breeze comes by and how clouds form and then dissipate. It's, you see the Lord, I mean, we're not pantheists, but he leaves his mark in, in nature. This is how he moves. This is how he works. And I find that to be true when I follow his will, I'm seeking his leading that he does kind of reveal to me step by step in layers like, well, this is this is where I want you to go. So I, I kind of get on the two-year plan or something like that. And it did take me about maybe a year and a half to discern his will for the next church. I ended up going to two different churches. And when COVID happened, I was still church searching. 
And I saw it as being a very providential thing that happened because while everybody was struggling with the fact that, oh, we're having church online, this really sucks, you know, church is not church. I was actually finding that this was really helpful to me because I could visit two churches at once now. <laughs> I could I could like go to the Zoom call for one church and then hit the recording for the other church that didn't have the Zoom meeting. And I was I was having a grand old time doing my church search because of COVID. <laughs> so I I managed to, you know, I know that when I'm seeking the Lord's will, even when when quote unquote bad things happen, I look for ways that he is helping me. Um, and that was one way that he helped me. And so we actually ended up finding our church during pandemic and figuring out that this is where God wanted us. And the pastor was joking with me and said, you know, I don't even think you've met us in person. <laughs> and I just said, yeah, I, here I, I, we, we, we found a church and I had met nobody in person. That's how that's crazy wow. it was. Wow. But that's just God. You know, if, if that's his will, he will let you yeah. know. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the Holy Spirit can use YouTube. Absolutely. Well, and that's what <laughs> I was just gonna say is I think like something that I've learned over the years is we really have to rethink about our definition of church. And even when you were saying Misty about like the Israelites following, um, you know, the 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 spirit ahead of them, and I just think about how how long I have had this definition of church that it is a building it's where you practice these particular liturgies it's where you kind of show off to your to your fellow congregants how Christian you really are and you check it off the box is like I had my fellowship this week and I think because I've had so many um you know church hurts and particularly for me I've had a lot of ministry hurt I, I think it's helped me to realize okay church isn't exactly what I always was taught that it was and I don't need to hold on to that cultural the Christian cultural pressure that if I don't go to church quote unquote every Sunday while I'm trying to heal from, you know, spiritual abuse or when I'm trying to get my footing into a new like church setting or in a new Christian community, that it's okay. You know, like God isn't legalistically demanding <clears throat> that we like end up in these in these spaces, particularly when I think often people stay in churches because of that pressure. You know, you stay in this oh, church, you totally. don't like it, you don't know the people, you feel completely unseen. And I think probably for many of us who identify as LGBTQ, you sacrifice so much of yourself just because you've had that narrative all your life that I need to go to this denomination, this church, and church needs to look like this. And, um, Unfortunately, I think having experiences of church pain or Christian community, you know, pain has really helped shape a new narrative in my, in my mind about what Christian community and church should look like. It's, it's interesting, like, that ever since my bad experience with the OPC, um, it has changed my, my view of church a lot. Because, um, well, for one thing, I relate a lot more to people who are non-Christians or people who have experienced spiritual abuse. I, I found that the best thing to do is for me to just go, yep, that's, that's, that's all it. there. Yep. <laughs> you know, why? don't defend it. Don't deny it. It's I've lived yeah. it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It, it's really yeah. Well, And it's funny. Yeah. What were you going to say? 
Yeah, mm. and it, it's funny you say that because I know for me, after my last, like, serious bout with ministry abuse where um, I was I was racially discriminated against and then expressed that this was a problem that no one really took seriously and was told, like, can you get over this or are you going to keep holding this over our heads? Like, literally, that was the words that were used. And after I was fired, I remember thinking, I can't say anything bad about this ministry. I just can't. Because if I do, then it makes God look bad. If I do, then it makes the church look bad. And because so many of my friends and so much of my community were not Christians, the last thing I wanted to do was to, like, mar the gospel. But I think I'm hearing what you're saying, and I totally get it because, like, I actually think speaking the truth of what happens in these like Christian settings in church and in ministry when there is sin and evil, it has to, it just has to be said. And I think it actually helps humanize, kind of level the playing field also that people, yes. you know, have this idea that Christians, you know, see themselves as high and mighty and, and, too good to do anything wrong and I think saying no actually Christians really hurt people and there are problems one it helps keep some accountability but I think too it it really shows the fallenness and humanity of everyone you know I I wonder how how Misty did you emotionally endure during the time, you know, during all these years of, you know, being ostracized, like how, how did you emotionally endure? And also, you know, you're saying you were able to share your story. How did, how were you able to share your story in a way that you felt was like really productive emotionally and spiritually for you? Uh, as far as emotionally surviving it, is that, that was your first question? Yeah. It was, um, well, it was it was really difficult. Uh, be, I mean, being in a denomination where you know, it it was uh, a lot of PTSD. You know, like being afraid to open my email, um, not knowing who was my friends anymore, um, having um, like every time something arrived in the mail, not knowing like if I could open it safely or not, what's wow. in there. Um, not because of like anthrax or anything like that, but just like people started sending me like their papers, like. You know, I wrote a paper oh. against homosexuality. I want you to read it, you know. Thanks. Great. Um, and, and yeah, right. And then um, the phone would ring and it was somebody who was like trying to bring charges against me from Canada. <gasps> Good. So, um, you know, and then we had like seven other denominations who our denomination was talking with about, they were all trying to like come up different ideas of how they can excommunicate me because they ran into this problem where my my political view of wanting to legalize same-sex marriage a civil marriage was not a theological view. And so after this big uproarious, like, you know, backlash against my person, they suddenly realize that, wait, we can't even get rid of her yeah. because she didn't violate any doctrines, you know? And I, you know, it's like, probably should have thought of that before exactly. you said all those things, you know? Exactly. And so um, it, it used to be, you know, for two years, it was just waking up every morning and just un unable to believe that this is my life. Um you know, just deep depression, um, you know, lost a bunch of weight. Um, but you know, like 
I, I, I took a great number, great deal of comfort in knowing the Lord was calling me to that. And I just thought it's, it's better than the 16 year old out there, you know, at least I'm in my thirties and at the time. So I just, I just kept thinking about like, it's better than the 16 year old out there. Um, so, you know, there's, so you're in survival mode, but then what happens after you leave that situation is that there's a lot of PTSD. There's a lot of, um, you know, like, you know, for a while, you know, just trying to like make friends and, you know, can I trust straight people? You know, can I trust straight Christians? Um, I, to this day, my closest friends are gay because I feel that, you know, that's the safest place to go. So, um, I know that I had a number of gay friends who, who stuck with me and saw me through the whole, the whole situation back then. And that kind of sticks with me, you know? And even now, like when we, I, we joined a, a PCA church, like I told you, and I was there for 16 years, we did go through a, a really rough season where one of the pastors, the first pastor left, and then we had to transition to another one. But during that time, I just remember feeling like my whole, entire sense of security with that pastor just kind of evaporated at some point where I, when I realized that things were getting really unstable and I withdrew into the sort of like, you know, pre safety mode of like, you know, just like that whole thing that happened with the previous denomination, I found myself just like isolating really quick and just shutting off really quick from trust and from connection and everything like, okay, I can't trust anybody now. And I'm just going to kind of like go back into my tortoise shell you know, and I just, I was so amazed at how, how I, how quickly I could do that mm-hmm. because once your trust has been broken, once, once you found that everybody that you thought was family just completely turned against you overnight, um, like happened in 2002, wow. then I, I kind of know that from now on, anytime somebody in leadership does, I do feel like, you know, insecure or not safe with them, that there's some, it's like a light switch goes off where I just shut down immediately and I'm just like, I'm in independent mode, you know, it's me and God, it's me and God, you know, he's got me, it's me and God. So I know that that's, that's come up, become a part of me. It's an unhealed wound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even now the church I'm at, I'm at right now, it's, I love my church right now, but it's just kind of sad to, to know that there's always that part of me that's like, as soon as things go south at church, mm-hmm. I just know how to shut yeah. it down. You know, <laughs> I know how to just kind of like, it's just me and the Lord. Now I'm just walking he's my church and you know, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but that's, that's the reality. We often look at people like that. I know that it's something that I've been guilty of for years of someone is so severely hurt in the church and they leave and the immediate reaction tends to be, well, it's, you know, it's some sort of like self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, they didn't really want to be here anyway. Look, exactly. they've gone through this difficult season and they left. So if they've left from us, they were never really a part of us. And people aren't misquoting scripture, talking about these hurt, damaged people that haven't been, they're not dealing with the consequences of their sin or some, you know, big thing like that. They're literally attempting to heal from damage caused by the church by the bride of Christ and I it's been an important thing for me to learn uh, by experience is that often when you have been so badly hurt in a situation that God is not demanding that you immediately go jump in another church like you were talking about Misty thinking you can't leave until you find some other place to go if you're being actively harmed, you need to just leave. 
and God will lead you to a place. Um, having friends and having people that can help you discern, you know, is this an ongoing conflict that's never going to change? Is this active spiritual abuse? Is there something in my life that I need, you know, are people trying to lovingly point me in a direction and I'm just too bullheaded to see it? Sometimes that's my problem. Um, but having those people who are going to help you discern that and then if you do realize, yeah, this is a place that if I continue to stay, it will be harmful for me to take some time away from that type of situation and say, God is going to give me some time to heal doesn't make you less of a Christian. And there's a huge lie that I believed exactly. for, for years and that, that God does hold us. He does maintain us. He will surround us with the fellowship and the accountability and the discernment partners to be able to make those decisions until we can find another group of Christians that we can commit to walking life with. Um, I was listening to a, yeah. a podcast the other day that was uh, dealing specifically with this situation of church hurt. And one of the beautiful things mm. that uh, a co-host said was that the healing that they received from the church most came from the church that they were hurt terribly by the church but they experienced healing from the church as well um, and that for those of us who have experienced such spiritual abuse and rejection and pain like when I first heard that it was like oh you know, it was almost like being punched in the stomach of thinking okay so the only way I'm going to heal is to go back to church um, it's like returning to the scene of the crime is sometimes what it feels like um, so how how are there ways um, that for those who are in a situation that it is still too traumatic, too painful to consider going back to an organized church for the time, what are ways that we can find that fellowship, that, that body of Christ to help us heal that um, doesn't include abandoning our faith community, but also doesn't necessarily include jumping back into an institutionalized church. What, what are some ways that we can find that healing um, that doesn't cause us to, to forsake that gathering of community? I've, I've not really been um, through a long period of time without being a part of a church. I mean, even when I was searching for a church, like I said, I was kind of bouncing around between a couple, but I do know what you're saying. There is even when I am a part of a church uh, formally, I definitely have my um, my go-to people on the side who I have a deep spiritual connection with. Um, I have, you know, a, a, a couple of friends, one friend in particular that I, I, I now pray with regularly every, every week um, on the phone. But I, I also think that, you know, I, had, I hesitate to say this because I've, I've heard so many opinions to the contrary, but my own personal relationship with the Lord has actually been uh, very, um, very full and healing for me. And I, and I do hear people say things like, well, he can't give you a hug and he can't, you know, give you physical touch and things like that. But um, I guess I, I would say to the contrary that my relationship with the Lord, because of the struggles and because of my struggles with the church and because the church has often not been what it should have been to me, um, he has filled those, those gaps. And I do feel that there is something about my closeness with him 
that goes even beyond physical touch. It's, it's he, his presence is very healing to me. And, um, and there, there have been moments when my communion with him was just so real that I felt like, you know, things like physical touch and and physical presence of other human beings just really pales in in comparison to this. And I, I hold on to those moments as, as few as they are, because I don't think the Lord wants us to be like seeking that, like all the time. I mean, we, we do live this side of heaven, but but I, I hold on to those things because I know that heaven is is right. better. <laughs> you know, I know that everything that we have physical and, and earthly here and what the church represents mm, here mm. is a really, really pale comparison. Um, like I said, you know, um, I've been divorced since like a few years now and the Lord has filled that marriage wow. void. You know, he's been my husband wow. and I'm actually, frankly thinking that, you know, I, I'm going to probably just be staying single because I'm really happy with my marriage yeah. with him. And I'd like to kind of join the other side, be Christians and, and walking in singleness, you know, so I can make room for, for that space in my life and chosen wow. family. But I, I just feel that the Lord himself has come and, and been um, not so much my church, but he, he really has been that, that rock mm. in the, in the yeah. gaps, you know, and has enabled me to, to give yeah. even in times of, of my own, you know, great need. Mm, mm. I oh, I just so got chills. I know. <laughs> yeah, I just I mean, got chills. I mean, I just such a testimony. The the right, like just the commitment to the commitment to the Lord, but also like the commitment to stand alongside people. Like you, you really have defined allyship in such a beautiful way, and. I, I'm so thankful for allies in my own life, but I think just having such a great example, Misty, like what, what a blessing really. Um, and, and to show that this journey of kind of needing allies, the journey of singleness, the journey of celibacy, the journey of having God be our all in all is not something that's exclusive to the queer experience, but like we all, we all need that. Like we all need those reminders. And I, I think seeing straight folks say, I'm, I'm taking this on too. It, it's so inspiring. Total chills. Um, it's a beautiful, so something I was thinking about, Right. Like something I was thinking about while you both were talking about, like what kind of keeps us going, you know, and our our theme this year is resilience. Like what kind of keeps us in line with God during these times of deciding, do we stay? Do we go? I think for me, something that I don't think I had when I was also kind of excommunicated from my last Christian community that I wish I would have. And now I, I really want to invest in is having other Christian friends outside of your church, outside yes. of your ministry experience, like whatever it is. Um, because Becca, like you were saying, it's so good to have other people speaking into your life, other people praying for you and kind of walking alongside you as you make these hard choices and transition. Um, but I know for me, I didn't have that. And Misty, I kind of heard that a little bit from you from your first kind of breakup there is mm-hmm. that like that that community for me was my family. My my kids literally called my coworkers, my my fellow like missionaries, aunt and uncle. Like it was our family. So then when it was stripped away we lost all of our 
familial connections in New York. My kids mm. were asking, like, when are we going to see auntie so-and-so again? When am I going to see uncle so-and-so again? And it was it was hard enough for me to deal with it, let alone try to explain to my kids why we're yeah. no longer in this community anymore. And people stopped reaching out to us. And like you were saying, Misty, I, I felt very vilified. Like we were, we probably weren't real Christians or that we were living in, in sin because of the way that we stood up for, you know, Black Lives Matter. And then also subsequently the LGBTQ community uh, when my friend tried to join staff and was told that she wasn't leaving room for the Holy Spirit because of her identity. And I just was oh. like, God, like it's who do we have left? You know, and I, I wish that I would have had some other Christians in my life. And that's something that I try to do now is like. I find people from all over, um, and not just Christians, but just right. in general, other uh, people can, can help support and bring truth. Yeah, it's a great thing. I, I laugh because one of the great lessons. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, Rebecca. Yeah, so one of the lessons I learned from uh, the first denomination I was telling you about, you know, all the the charges and everything, is that I. I didn't diversify my portfolio. <laughs> I had all exactly, my eggs in that one basket. Exactly. <laughs> and that was the one thing where um, it, I don't regret anything from that time in my life. But the one thing I do regret was that I had all my friends in that one denomination. And from then on, I, I make sure that I have friends that, you know, in my neighborhood, mm. um, at my workplace, um, you know, from other other contexts, other Christian contexts, I have, you know, of course, my my LGBT friends who, you know, I know will always be there yeah. for me, um, you know, through parachurch ministries like Revoice. Mm. And, and then, yeah, then, then there's my church, you know. So I have I have people at my church who I, I love and I care for and I'm friends with. But um, that's that's not the only thing. I've, I've diversified my that's portfolio. Right. I so. like that. I like the way you said that. And yeah, I, I think something also that – oh, sorry, Becca – Forgive it's okay. Me. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's oh, more I of... Just was... Okay, I was going to say there's just a little oh, bit of the... a lag, so we're talking over each other. I'm sorry the about that. The internet. Jeez. No, it's totally fine. I'm going to shut up. Please, Becca. I wanna... Okay. <laughs> um, looking at that, um, just the ability to have a wide range of people um, isolating ourselves in one church is one of the, the biggest reasons that I think we've been able to see such an increase in spiritual abuse and isolation is that we've, we've sort of been taught we're supposed to get everything spiritual from this one body of people. Um, and that's not something that, that you see even in the Bible. I mean, that, that people in the early church we're traveling and we're moving and we're talking with people and had points of reference. I mean, like the only reason that, that we have some of the letters in the new Testament is because they wrote to Paul who was outside of their church and said, help us with this. So having that diversified mm. portfolio, I love that comparison. Uh, it is a great yes. way to keep us in check that for so much of my life, everything was centered in one denomination and it's been one of the best things about finding the side B community in general and specifically uh, with the revoice conference and things like that, that, you know, now I have friends that range from mainline progressive denominations 
um, of Protestants to Catholics to Greek Orthodox to charismatic people. I have friends that are in the Wesleyan tradition and friends that are in the Reformed tradition. And and having a more full and robust understanding of just the Christian experience in general, um, it helps to develop Mm -hmm. more empathy for people, which we could all use more empathy in this day and time. Um, but really does allow us to see that maybe how we do church, it it's not necessarily right or wrong. There are just other different ways to do it that may actually work for you and provide a place for you to be more complete in the ministry you can do as a part of the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, so there are good things to remember about looking at different churches and it doesn't necessarily have to always be some ugly breakup that causes you to leave mm. a church. Sometimes it can be there is a ministry working here that I really feel strongly about that God wants me to be a part of. And we're just not doing it in this congregation. Wow. So I'm going to go join this other congregation in order to be able to do that. Um, so it does affect our life outside mm. of our immediate Com, uh, congregation when we can see and understand how God is moving more from like a 30,000 foot level instead of just right right where we are mm, mm. yeah so something I was just reflecting on too and then I have a follow-up question for you Misty is I think you had mentioned something about you know just going outside to your backyard and seeing the flowers grow and nature and remembering who God is um and I I would agree that sometimes the most spiritual interactions that I've had sometimes the most like God-centered um things that I've done has been with people on the margins has been with things that outside of the church. And I think having those connections with people, Christian or non-Christian who are not, who are on the margins, who are not necessarily feeling that sense of entitlement or inclusion just innately is also really helpful. And I, you know, please feel free to respond to that. But in that, I'm also curious, like, for our listeners who are trying to figure out whether they should stay or they should go, um, what are some, what were some clues for you or what would be some advice that you would give to say, like, particularly for those of us who are gender or sexual minorities, like if you're trying to determine, is this a good church for me? What, what's some advice that you would give our listeners? I, I want to uh, start actually with, you know, with your comments about how you can find God in, in the margins, you know, among with the people in the margins. And that's been my experience um, ever since I started to become involved with, you know, sexual minority Christians is I find that this is, this community is where God is working. And what I mean by that is that um, it's always been the case, you know, in the history of the church and in, in the redemptive history of the Bible that God does work on the margins. You know, you see that where Jesus offended a bunch of people because he's like, well, there are a number of widows, you know, in Israel at the time, but, you know, the prophet Elisha went to the one who was the Gentile, you know, and, um, he, you know, he himself went to the Samaritan woman and found faith there. Um, he, he was the one who, you know, who healed lepers and blind men, not only because, it's not just about like, oh, you know, poor people who are sick or and need my my ministry, but you know, 
people who are on the margins often know that they are blind spiritually and um, are diseased spiritually, you know, and that's why Jesus actually went to physically heal blind people and, and lepers or, or, or deaf yeah. people, because there's, there's something about that ailment that, that is telling a mm. truth about where you're at spiritually. Mm. People on the margins mm. understand that it's better. It's the Sermon on and the so Mount. I think that, like it just takes me to the Sermon on the Mount, right? right? Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. That's why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, the meek. The, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you don't hunger and thirst for something that you already have. Whereas those who wow. think they're righteous and think that they can see, they think that they're not blind. They are blind. Mm. And they're always the ones that Jesus are, has been the hardest on because they're the ones who end up crucifying him. Right. So, um, back to your point, it's just that, you know, I, I find that, you know, the persecuted church is where the spirit works. And so a big part of my interest in, in being a straight ally is, is my own spiritual benefit because I benefit spiritually from being among Christians who are sexual minorities, because that's where I find the gospel is the sharpest. That's where I feel the spirit is working the most uh, energetically and I think that, you know, the, the, the spirit works with the suffering church. Um, you know, I think about the time of Elijah when, you know, he was on running because of, you know, he had just had this encounter with the prophets of Baal and he's like, where's, where are your people, Lord? And, and the Lord says, you know, I have 5,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal, you know? So to your point, Becca, about like, oh, they went out from us because they were not among us. You know, they were never a part of us. Sure. The false teachers, you know, that was a situation where false teachers left the church, but in the situation with Elijah, you know, where you had the mass of Israel who, who wasn't being faithful to the Lord, he says, why have my remnant right. that I preserved? And they're the ones who have actually been excluded yeah. and they're hiding in caves, but you know, they are, they are my true church. So you can look at it that way too. And that's wow. kind of what I see with the sexual minorities today is that our churches have lost the gospel. You know, our churches have, they think that the gospel is, is about like, how righteous can you be? But it's really the people who are spiritually yes. poor <laughs> who understand that righteousness does not come from me. Right. Righteousness comes as a gift from Jesus Christ through God, you know? And so it's only the people who really are spiritually poor who understand that. Yeah. It's not the people who are spiritually rich, uh, quote unquote, spiritually rich, because in fact, they're not. The ones who say, I'm not poor, I'm not blind, I'm not naked, I'm not, you know, I'm not in need. Um, those are the ones where Jesus is going to come out with his, with his rebuke. So, you know, I think that the starting point is that the people on the margins is often where the spirit is doing his work to lead the church towards a greater gospel faithfulness. So I've not, I don't really buy into, you know, some of these categories that, you know, that are defined by institutions necessarily. I don't have anything against the institutional church. But I would be cautious about like defining the institutional church as being the only way to go, simply because when you look at how the spirit works, he's always calling people um, who are in spiritual need, who who understand that need, who, who are often the ones who are persecuted and suffering. Yeah. They're the ones who will seek his face in that way that he desires. So when you start there, I think that it kind of puts things in perspective. It kind of means that to me, the church is this strange balance where the church is not God, but at the same time, I don't think that God can work without the church. You know what I mean? So I have this kind of like very nuanced view of the church where I don't look to the church as like, this is absolutely, you know, 100% one-on-one correspondence who God is. But at the same time, I need the church 
because God does his work through the church in some strange, mysterious way. So when I look at my church in my church experience like that, I am faithful to being a part. I am faithful to connecting with Christians. I am faithful to um, always wanting to be involved, you know, largely and admittedly largely on a serving, in a serving capacity, you know, um, I'm always looking to what I can give. Cause I, you know, I do believe when Jesus says like, it's better to give than to receive, you know, and I, and I believe that I receive through giving. Um, but I also know that the church is, is a place where, um, it can disappoint, you know, and, and maybe not be the revelation of God, you know, faithfully. So I, I kind of, I kind of make that distinction, you know, I just go, okay, well, this is the church has helped me to, in my relationship with God, but there are also times when I can't equate the church with God. And I know that God is working on the margins, you know, with, with the people that I've become, you know, in my opinion, I think that, I think God is working very powerfully among my friends who are LGBT and I need that, you know, that that's the community that I rely on for my spiritual well-being is always staying and connected with, with people who are, who are struggling on the margins and asking questions like, what is, what is the church? What is the gospel? Who is Jesus Christ? Um, what does the scripture say? You know, those questions are being asked by the people who are pushed out. That's one thing I shared um, at Revoice, just this image of of how the church so often circles the wagons and in the culture wars today that we want to protect ourselves and protect each other. Um, but when you do that and you put whatever thing that you're worshiping or you're protecting in the middle, you're going to naturally have margins all the way on the outside. And when you begin to move forward to get past that defensive mode and start doing the work again, it's the people on the margins that are going to be leading because they're already there on the outside getting ready to move forward. And so being able to see that idea of marginalized people being in the lead getting out of the safety of the center of protection and joining those who are marginalized, you're putting yourself in a position of being able to see the next place that the Lord is taking you in a spiritual journey. And that's a, that's where you want to be. That's where I want to be. Um, I don't want to be sitting back in the circle of the wagons, tending a campfire, you know, that there may be a place for that for a season, but I want to be those who are on the edge, seeing where it is that the Lord's taking us next. Yeah, I think it's just sadly so comfortable to be on the inside. It feels so good. It feels so comfortable. Right. It doesn't feel terribly challenging. <laughs> but then as soon as you step out of that place and Misty, you like purposefully taking yourself out of that place. And I know... I, I relate to you in the sense of like, I didn't need, I, I felt like I didn't need to necessarily come out, uh, you know, as a woman married to a man with kids, like I, I looked as straight as they come, but I think purposefully stepping outside of the center, it's never easy. It's never like welcome. Nobody's really celebrating that. <laughs> <laughs> but once you get there, it's just I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. The other day I was um, in a meeting with our kaleidoscope staff and our new assistant who is um, non-binary was sharing a devotion from Galatians 2. And they were sharing about um, like this idea that 
when Paul's speaking and challenging the people that it was those who were trying to rebuild the law who were the lawbreakers. Those who were trying to rebuild what was destroyed were the lawbreakers as opposed to those who are actually centering their faith in Christ. And to hear that from them... And to sh- and to hear their their interpretation and and the way that they read it and like, I this is me like I felt compelled to come out. She they said when they read this was like I was I felt compelled to come out because this is exactly where God has me as a person who isn't trying to rebuild some kind of law. Oh wow! But to really exercise my faith in Christ where I I'm at. Um, but I. I think, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, those those things aren't necessarily always pra- praised in the organized church. Nobody wants to hear a non-binary person <laughs> talk about their interpretation of Galatians 2, except for us. But that's fine. You know, we're, we're doing what we can. Uh, but I really I want to really get back to that question, Misty, uh, for our listeners of what are some some ways that you feel like um, those of us who are sexual or gender minorities um, can make, like what is some advice that you would give us as we're trying to figure out whether to stay or to leave a church? Like what are some signs that it's time to go? Or maybe what are some ways that you feel like it's important to stay? Yeah, this is a hard one because it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like to see people in toxic situations. I don't like to see people being spiritually abused. And there's, there's a ton of that going on. Um, I mean, I think to me, it's, it's, it's kind of simple. It's, um, I think a church is a place where you give, you know, and what I mean by that is that there may be some benefit for you being at at your church. Um, that is, that is good for a season. I do think that you should balance that with, you know, is it, is it also detrimental to be at your church? I think that it's important to, to start, like I was saying, where you realize that the church is an equal God, but at the same time, the church is a very important place where God works. And when, when you kind of see it that way, it takes a little bit of pressure off of, oh, I, I just absolutely have to be here in this, this absolutely toxic environment. But it also enables you to go, you know, Maybe, maybe I need to be here for a season because of something that I have to offer here, even if it's a hard thing, even if it's a hard conversation. Um, and I think that the reason why I advise that way is not because I, I want you to be stuck in your church and, and trapped in there and just getting abused every Sunday, every time the sermon is preached. But I, what I want to see is that I think that God really blesses, you know, I, the blesses the heart of faith. I think he blesses you when when you do stay for a hard season. And I think that when you, when you do seek his face in a way that's like, it's not like he equals the church, but you're seeking him sort of beyond his greater purpose for why you're here. Then that can be very relieving in terms of like, you're free to go, you know, like just understand that you are free to, to move forward with the cloud, you know, um, to, to wherever it is he wants you to go. You don't have to be here. There's, there's your salvation is not at stake Mm. here. But if, if you are giving something, you are being a testimony there for a time, you know, not forever, but for a time, then that can be, that can be a very uh, encouraging thing for you. That could be an emboldening thing. It could be very, very empowering to just go, yeah, I, I am taking a little bit of abuse here. 
Um, but you know, you guys need to have me here. You know, you need to see this. And then at the same time, just being like, you know, like you, you can look forward to other seasons where you're, you know, there are churches out there where that pastor may be on a journey, you know, like that's, that's kind of what the church I'm at right now, where the pastor is not, it's not like he knows all this stuff, but he's willing to be on this journey. And that's just been really encouraging for me because I don't need to have like everything perfect, but the fact that he's willing yeah. to have these conversations and, and that he's already kind of been in my corner with some of the things I've been doing, is just really flabbergasting to me. And that's been really encouraging. And it actually, between the two churches that I thought I was going to join, I didn't think it was going to be this one. I thought it was going to be the other one because the other church that I was looking at, that pastor was already like, he was, he had attended Revoice and there was somebody at that church who, who had been involved with Revoice. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is obviously the place where God wants me. But instead, the Lord led me to the other church where the pastor was like kind of less educated about the things, but he, his heart has just been great, you know? And that's been, it's been the first church where I really felt like I can rest and really kind of have some healing because it's just been a long journey of just like church, church experience has been largely me giving and having to sort of educate, you know, quietly and, and just kind of not getting back what I, what I feel like I needed. Um, but I, whatever your journey is right now and whatever you are suffering, um, trust that the Lord sees, you know, he sees you and he knows, he knows your suffering, you know, um, and don't feel like you are, you're in bondage, you know, in your church situation. Amen. Christ, he, he is, he came to set you free. You know, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't, don't be again enslaved to a yoke of bondage. Um, these voices about like, you know, if you leave the church, then that means this, you know, this, these, if then sort of voices, I think are very, um, they're, they're very imprisoning, but in Christ you are free. You're free to be at church. You're free to, to move on. And so if you view it that way and just understand that you have a lot to offer, then I I think that that could just take a lot off of your shoulders and, and just kind of give you a new, fresh perspective. Yeah. So good. Becca, I'm curious, how would, how would you answer that question? What, what advice would you give to listeners who are considering leaving? How, how, how would they determine when it's a good time yeah, to, to walk it, away or if they should Similar stay? to uh, what Misty has said, I think that that part of it being very important um, of having outside help Again, that goes back to having some friends, having good, strong, faithful support outside of your immediate church context is really important because you can have those voices who are looking on from the outside um, and help you discern that key word that, that Missy was using about something being a season. Like, is this is this a season? Is this a bump in the road in this place that is otherwise well-intentioned, good moving, willing to work together. And we're, we're just hitting a hard patch, like any sort of relationship that is experiencing conflict. And you have a faith and an understanding that, that that will be worked through, or is this place that I am in just completely toxic systematically? Is it systemically going to be a place that is toxic? And often when you're right in the middle of it, you just can't see it. And so having Mm. Having those outside voices, uh, whether it's friends or family or someone else that you can talk through those things and process with, 
you know, this is what I'm experiencing. And it used to be on, you know, an annual basis. Now it's this, now it's that, or I've seen this recent shift in the leadership of church, um, things that are going to be taking you away from uh, building a bigger table towards building a higher wall, as we like to use those two comparisons these days. If your church begins to move towards a way of building a higher wall to exclude people from who's in and who's out, um, as opposed to building a bigger table to welcome people into the fellowship with Christ, wow, um, is a huge indication of something. If you don't have a pastoral leadership that is helping you um, confess sin, if they're not confessing their own struggles and weakness, if you see a lack of humility, um, if there's no structure to hold your leadership accountable, then there's going to be very little structure to help you in your own struggles with things. So being able to look at what the structures are, that when you see things and begin to recognize, oh, here are some things that are not healthy and those probably are never going to change. That's the time that you want to begin looking other places. Um, And Mm -hmm. that was a huge part of it for me, especially with my old church that the pastors would say on nearly a weekly Mm -hmm. basis if you would love to join our congregation, we'd love to give you the information about being a covenant member here. If you feel this is no longer the place for you, let us know that too. And we will help you find a place. Like we meet with other pastors in the area. We know the ministries that they have. It wasn't you're in sin. If you leave our covenant, it's if this is not the fit for you, let us help you find a place. And I was like, you know, would that every church in the world, be that way of we're all the body of Christ let us find a place that you're going to be able to function mm. most most healthily mm. um, so things like that are going to be what you want to look for mm. um, to determine if something is just conflict and living with fallen people or if you are really looking at an abusive or a toxic toxic situation yeah th- that's incredible I've never heard oh, of a church that beautiful that held leadership with such humility to be able to say, we're not the only church out there. And not only that, but we are going to help you find another church. I've never heard of that before that. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's always been an idea that I thought would be ideal. The other churches would be in fellowship, not just with churches in their own denomination, but, you know, other places that are, that people, you know, who, who have different ideas of liturgy or different ideas of, of, you know, authority structure, you know, just acknowledging the body of Christ is, is so much broader. I, I really admire that. That's fantastic. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I met with a deacon and, and set that up. He was like, what what does your family need right now? What sort of ministry can you be a part of? What is it, you know, consider geography, consider denomination, consider the ministries that are going forward. Like, what are ways that we can help you work through these different things to find a place that you'll be able to plug in and to thrive? And we ended up not staying at that church, and they were lovely about it. I mean, it was like, go from here. We're sending you out to do ministry with another part of the body. It wasn't as if we were, were leaving the faith because mm. we left that particular con- congregation. Mm. And it was, it was beautiful. I think that uh, that's, that would be so great. Like you were saying, Misty, if some more churches were like that, I think particularly for queer folks, because it's, the options aren't really there and people don't really 
exercise any other option. So it's like, oh, okay, well, I can't go here and feel seen or share my experience or find any accountability. Well, I guess this is my only option, so I might as well stay. And I something that I love, um, all my church does similar things, um, Becca, and someone recently reached out to us who asked, like, hey, where do you guys stand theologically on this? And, you know, my, my daughter's queer and in a same-sex relationship. Do you Would you guys officiate the wedding? Um, and my pastor handed the email over to me and was like, can you help? Can you help me answer this? And one of the things I told him was, Always offer an alternative congregation or community. The last thing that our people right. need is to be left out in the lurch because n- people are like, well, you don't mm-hmm. agree with me theologically. Well, you don't, you identify this way and it makes me feel uncomfortable. You don't have any other options. Like, this isn't your home, but I'm not even going to help you find a home. And that's the last thing. That's the well, last thing that yeah. anyone should hear. But I think, especially for those of us who, already experienced marginalization when it comes to the church (laughs) that's the last thing we we really need to hear um and i i also think it's amazing we something for me that i've had to learn in leaving christian spaces is that i have nothing to prove except for my like the only person i need to stand like in front of to prove anything to and i don't even have to prove anything is to god like I have nothing to prove to the pastor. I have nothing to prove to the leadership. I have nothing to prove to my coworkers, ministry leaders, or you know other congregants by staying or even by leaving. I just need to be faithful. Like we just need to be faithful to where God has us and whatever season He has us into. Um, and I think for a lot of LGBTQ folks in the church. We feel like, well, maybe if we stay long enough, then people will will understand. If we stay long enough, then we'll prove to them how Christian we truly are or how what good people we really are. And I think that there's room for teaching, absolutely, and there's room for open dialogue, but proving something is never gonna really work. Like that that motivation is only gonna be harmful right. to all parties involved. Yeah, when you have people that are committed to misunderstanding you, sticking around longer is is not going to convince them of anything. So true. Yeah, well, Missy, oh, as we are you know wrapping up. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it reminds me of a friend. I just heard his testimony this week. And I was thinking, like, he has made a transition from, like, one sort of Christian context to another one. Uh, an unhealthy one to a healthy one, right? And it was kind of a combination of a living experience in a church versus, you know, another living experience. And I just kind of noticed that his transformation over the last couple of years, when he was in the sort of the less supportive context, I just kind of noticed that he was like much more withdrawn. And it was it was a little bit harder for me to understand who he was. You know, he's a sexual minority and everything. But then like giving his testimony two years later, and he was like in a different context, he had kind of moved out of the toxicity and and he's like flourishing and, and using his gifts and his personalities coming out. I just thought, what a difference that's made to just kind of move out of that one space that was not good for him into a better space. And I think that sometimes yeah. when you're in a toxic church and you're feeling unseen and, and unappreciated and like like you don't matter, um, 
you don't realize what, what you have to offer the church or what you have to give because you're not really being allowed to, you know, and, and, and to just, you know, for those of you who are, who are in that space, you know, your, your potential is not really being unleashed at all. And, and don't, don't start spiraling and buying into, I can't, it's easy to say, don't do this, but, um, you know, there, what I've seen from my friend is that he is, he is so much more than he was, you know, when he was in that space where he was just kind of being ignored and, and just kind of shoved to the side. And now to see him like using his gifts and, and, um, being able to give to others in the way of that God meant him to do that. I mean, that could be you too, you know, don't forget that that's, that, that, that there is a, a calling and a gift that God has given you. And it just might be that you are not seeing it um, because you're, you're just not really being allowed to be who you are. So I just wow. want to encourage anyone who might be thinking yeah. that, oh, I don't have anything to contribute. Maybe, maybe it's just, you know, it's a situation where you're not able mm, to. That is gold. Absolute wow. gold. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, when you find a place that you can thrive and be exactly who it is that you've been called and created to be, um, you you have things to contribute. And that's, you know, I've, I've said it before, I think on here that that there are, there are things God wants us to do and the church is missing out on mm-hmm. so many things when they say, if you identify this way or if you have this in your past, then you're not going to be a part of this congregation. Like congregations need to be able to say we are incomplete without you. And like, that's ultimately the goal that we're working towards is helping churches understand that they are less. And we are less when you are excluding people for these sorts of reasons. Um, So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's, it's a beautiful way of looking at it. Misty. Um, as we, we wrap up today, we've got a question that we've asked all of our guests so far this season. Um, you can pick the age of yourself in the past, but if you could send a message to your younger self, what would your message be? I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. And my biggest fear when I was at that age, like in college or whatever, was that I was going to become like some of the adults that I saw in my church. And so what I would say to my younger self is that um, I do remember what it was like to be you when all the examples around you were people who were just sort of selling out and just kind of going through the motions of spirituality and, you know, multiplying houses and, you know, um, just trying to line their their pockets and <laughs> and just you know kind of going after the world and still calling themselves Christian. I I just that scared me more than anything. But I I would tell my younger self that I remember what that was like, and I've I can assure you that you know the Lord is still just as important to me now, if not more than than He is to you now. You know when when you're young and you're looking at you know this life and saying is that going to be me like in in thirty years. And I just would say that, you know, the Lord has been, has been faithful and he's answered your prayers that, um, that you would persevere and that, you know, he's, you can, you can walk through this life. You can, um, you can see ugly, cynical things, 
and you can, your faith can survive it. You don't have to, you don't have to become that person who says, well, you know, when you hit the real world, then this is the reality, you know, that you have to get practical here, you know, faith and prayer and church, that's all good, but let's get practical here. Sometimes that, you know, that's, that just doesn't work. Um, I remember what it was like when, when you were hearing those things and I've, I can assure you that God can lead you on a path where, um, where he is the most practical and the most sensible and the most wise thing that you could ever, you can ever, you know, invite into your life. And Jesus yeah. is everything that he said he is and more. And I'm still discovering that. And um, I'm glad to be on this path. And But I, I do remember what it was like. You know, don't be afraid. Don't You don't have to listen to those voices. You just yeah. have to listen to the Lord's. And that's all you need. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for not listening to those voices and for, you that's know, right. really really going on this journey, you know, probably many, many times, whether you liked it or not, <laughs> going on this journey of, you know, really, you know, being faithful and, and being a, an example to so many. Thank you for being such a brilliant, strong ally for our community. Um, if you didn't know Misty Iron be before, please get to know her now. Check out her blog. Listen Listen to any sermon you can find. I'm just, I'm really, really grateful <laughs> for your story. Um, and I, I'm thankful. I, I hate to say this almost, but I'm thankful that your story isn't beautiful and, and you know, well-polished. I think because of that, I, <laughs> I get to see, you know, the beauty from the ashes that God has been creating in you. And mm -hmm. so many of us get to yes. admire that. So thank you. Thank you so much. Fabulous. Yeah. Becca, Thanks, what, a, what a great it. interview, right? Right. I know. Thank Anytime I get me. to talk with Misty, I, I appreciate it. I come away edified and, and encouraged. So thanks, Misty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you both. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.